Hello, and welcome to the Field Guides. I'm Steve, and I'm here with Bill. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Steve. What we're gonna do today, and over the course of many future episodes, is give you the experience of what it's like to be out in the field, in the woods, and on the trail. For every episode, we pick a natural history topic, research the science on that topic, head out to a natural area, and share with you everything we've learned. But before I say what the topic of today's episode is, Bill, have you seen the movie Sleepaway Camp? I have not. Well, it's a cult classic slasher film from 1983, and I want to play a line from that movie. All right. So hold on. Whoa! <laughs> Not expecting that. <laughs> well, that's what today's episode is about. Eating shit <laughs> and living. <laughs> also known as coprophagia. <laughs> so I, I want to say, and this is something, uh, as Bill knows, uh, because I was nice and kind of warned him ahead of time. I'm not really much of a team player, uh, so I can vouch for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I covered this topic in a way he probably didn't expect me to, or want me to, frankly. <laughs> so today, I want to talk about poop-eating or coprophagous carnivorous plants. Oh, um, I'm assuming. Bill did research on poop-eating animals, so I think he should cover that first, and then I'll follow up with plants. Oh, and I we... did plants too. Oh, seriously, yeah. that's great. <laughs> nice. The picture okay. plants. That's good to know, but I, I definitely went beyond that. Okay. So. And I think before we really get into things, we should warn the audience that this episode's topic is probably the one we've covered that has the most potential to gross people out. And uh -huh. as you already mentioned, we're covering coprophagia, um, or coprophagia, right? Sure. Depending on how you say it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eating poop. Yep. And maybe if you have a strong gag reflex, you may want to sit this one out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's fascinating. I agree. And I think it is fascinating, but yeah. I also, I hate the word feces. Oh, I so, say it a bunch. <laughs> I'm going to try to avoid that word as much as possible, but I think this may be the one episode where yeah. we have to give it an explicit rating. Oh. You know what I mean? Yeah. So just, like, we're going to say the word <laughs> I think that's unavoidable. Yeah. You can't bleep it out every time. I was going to say, I bleeped out yours the first time you just said it just now. <laughs> but how about you say it one more time and I won't bleep it out. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> we there normally, it is. <laughs> we normally do bleep out the curse words, but I think on this one, we just have to kind of put it out there that, hey, if you want to avoid the curse words, avoid learning about animals eating poop. Skip to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or go back and listen to a classic. Right. And I think that's a great segue to say where we are right now. Oh, yeah. Because we are at the site of the very first Field Guides podcast episode. That's true. Yeah. Our Goldenrod Gall episode. Yeah. So this is Hunter's Creek Park. It's a county park, about mm -hmm. 600 acres, but it is very well visited. So uh, we just had a group with dogs go by. I bet we're going to run into a lot of people here today. So yeah, yeah, be prepared for interruptions. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely recommend the the Goldenrod episode because it's kind of it's different than a lot of the episodes that we've done. Like first of all, because it's boring. Well, first of all, the editing is is really bad. It, the editing doesn't get good until like the teens, and then um, we spend a big chunk of it telling you how to like distinguish between different species of goldenrods and like we look at leaf veins and stuff it's a very different episode that we don't really do stuff like that in the later episodes yeah, so i have a hard time listening to it. Our, we're so <laughs> nervous our energy level is quite low yeah yeah so i can hear the difference but sure yeah. sure i've what we've talked before about having an episode zero because i worry that that's the first episode people listen to and right they're like Ugh, these guys are 
So low energy. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into it. Okay. Okay. Anything else that you want to share at the beginning here? No, that's it. All right. So let's define our terms here. Good place to begin. Coprophagia or coprophagy, I saw it listed as both, is the eating of excrement that is normal behavior among animals. And I want to focus on normal behavior there. Right. Um, it, I, I will say it isn't normal behavior for plants because uh, right. it's, it's extremely rare in the plant kingdom. Right. <laughs> but it's actually extremely common in the animal kingdom. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Us as humans don't normally take part in eating poop, but <laughs> normally uh, <laughs> under normal conditions, under normal conditions. But <laughs> among animals, you'll be surprised to learn how many animals actually do uh, take part in this behavior. Yeah. So weird. I'm betting a lot of the audience at least has had some experience hearing about how rabbits do it mm -hmm. and the fact that it allows them to digest tough plant material more thoroughly because it goes through the di digestive tract twice. Got it. So they eat the grass. Oh, we'll get more in this later. Okay. All right. Got don't it, give away too it. much now. <laughs> I don't know anything. <laughs> I don't know what I'm giving away. But it's not just rabbits chowing down. It's also mice, beavers, and that includes the American, the Eurasian, and Steve, the mountain beaver. There's a mountain beaver? There is a mountain beaver. <laughs> I didn't know about this. Is it in North America or not? It is in North America. It's on the West Coast. Okay. It's not related to the American beaver. It actually looks like... What do you like, mean? It's not. It's, it's a rodent. Okay. But it's not closely related to the American... They call it a beaver because it kind of looks like a beaver. I see. But honestly, it looks like a muskrat without a tail. Mm -hmm. And it's a terrestrial animal. It, it hangs out in wet environments, but not like a beaver does at all. So. I see. So they gave it that name <sighs> mostly misnomer. because... Yeah, it yeah. kind of looks like a beaver. Okay. All right, but it eats poop like the real beaver does. Great. <laughs> uh, and then also dogs, rats, foals baby horses, yeah. pigs, and some non-human primates, and that's just mammals. But it also happens among insects, fish, and birds. Wow, okay. Right? So, I think I've seen a fish eat poop. Oh yeah. I'm pretty sure I've seen that. Yeah. And then the word, it's derived from the Greek kapros, which means feces, mm -hmm. and then phagin, which is to eat. Hmm. But did you know there are three different kinds of coprophagy? I had no idea. So there's heterocoprophagy, Okay. Which is eating feces. Of another yes, thing. Yes, of another species. Yep. If you eat the feces of other individuals of your own species. Autocoprophagy? That's allocoprophagy. Uh, allo. Yep. Okay, allo. I get it. Allocoprophagy. Yep. Yep. And then eating one's own feces? Feces? I, I, I don't know. Auto. Okay, so it was auto. Okay. Autocoprophagy. Got it. All right. Now, I did feel compelled just here at the beginning to talk a little bit about people eating poop. All right. <laughs> Two girls, one cup. <laughs> that did come up. Okay. I had no idea what that was about until uh, I started bless doing your soul. the research for this episode. I'm scarred for life because of that now. Uh -huh. Yeah. All right. So um, it was described actually since the late 19th century no. in people, but usually with people with mental illnesses and in unconventional sexual acts. Yeah. Steve is making a gross out face right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I'm not trying to kink shame. Yeah. But some kinks are dangerous, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, did you know that centuries ago, doctors would taste their patients' feces? I hate that word. <laughs> feces. <laughs> their patients' poop <laughs> to better judge the patient's state and condition. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> um, uh, it's, I don't disbelieve it, I guess. Yeah. Um, 
One of these episodes, I am waiting for you to tell me something like that, and then wait for me to say, okay, okay, I can believe that. And you're like, nah, I just made that up. There's no, there's no way that anyone would ever do that. All right. But, but I can kind of see, I mean, back in the day when they didn't have like chemical tests, like, cause you can send in stool samples, you can send in urine samples. Yeah, but no one's eating it. But no one's eating it, right? Cause nowadays we have these modern, modern technology and, you know, chemical tests and stuff. But back in the day, you know, poop is something that can tell something oh, you, sure. it's very telling in terms of diseases What's going on and illnesses in your body and, and, and sure potentially cancers and stuff so now i do have a story though here mm-hmm. and i want you to to judge is this true or not okay all right during world war ii in north africa german soldiers they were suffering big time from dysentery okay so a lot of them were catching it coming down with it what what, the, what is what is dysentery uh caused by again uh bacteria okay okay so what they observed, though, was that the Bedouins that lived in that area, this was this nomadic Arab tribe, mm-hmm. they didn't seem to come down with it very often, or if they did, they usually recovered within a day. Hmm. So the soldiers started to watch what the Bedouins did, and they would actually see them picking up fresh camel dung and eating it. <laughs> and when they, they talked to them about this, they said, well, that's something that they do traditionally to stave off and treat this illness. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. true or not? I don't know. Like, I'm just going to say... So, I, there, a few episodes ago, I decided that no longer would I try to get the question right if it felt like a trick question. Like, I was just going to say what intuitively yeah. the answer felt like. And I'm going to say the answer's no, it's not true. I, I just feel like you're giving up too much by eating shit. You know what I mean? Like, sure, it might help you with with something, I guess. I don't know. Right. Like, I'm, I'm not a doctor, but I think the cost of eating shit um, is, too, is too big. Too it's much. Too, too, too much. The end doesn't justify the means, right? <laughs> right, right. It, yeah, if, if, if the treatment is worse than the disease. <laughs> well, this turned out actually to be true. Wow. So German researchers, they figured out that camel dung is teeming with Bacillus subtilis. And this is a bacteria that eats harmful microorganisms in the intestinal tract. Wow. How does it know that it's harmful? Well, it doesn't. It just knows <laughs> it wants to eat it. Okay, so it has a particular prey that it goes after. Uh, yeah. So eventually, the, the researchers, they would use <laughs> camel shit to develop a broth that the soldiers would eat. Wow, a shit broth. <laughs> wow. And then they eventually figured out a method of drying the bacteria. The, the Bedouins, they always ate it fresh because they, they learned that when the dung dried, mm-hmm. the bacteria died. Okay. All right? So okay. it had to be fresh. But eventually the Germans figured out how to dry it and put it in capsules. This led to the development of the antibiotic subtilisin, which I had never heard of. Subtilisin. Yeah. It sounds familiar, but I, I don't... I may yeah. be saying it wrong, but... Okay. So that is one record mm-hmm. of someone eating poop. And I, I looked, and I couldn't find yeah. were there records of people who used this method who suffered ill effects from eating poop, because obviously right. there's going to be bad stuff in there. But not only that, I, I guess maybe if they've been doing it traditionally for so long, maybe they have a different like gut flora to begin with, and it's going to react in different ways. But I will say that... Uh, this little story you told me, that's just proof that ancient wisdom is, is far beyond anything that science is. You know, we're just catching up to them, really, if you think about it. All right. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. Throw that opinion in the garbage, actually. <laughs> well, this is one example of they, <laughs> them being onto something. They, they got something sort of right a little bit sometimes. And again, I almost feel like we're doing a disservice by terming this coprophagia because this isn't normal behavior. Right. right. These are extreme circumstances. Speaking of extreme circumstances, yeah. so I'm sure the audience has heard so far in the episode that it's been raining. <laughs> I'm just wondering if maybe we can retreat yes. to some like evergreen trees. There's some or, hemlocks yeah. over here. We can go stand under those. Yeah. So why don't we, uh, while we're walking and before we uh, continue, yeah. we should just say, so we are out here in early November. It's actually November 1st. No, it's October 31st. No, that was yesterday, Steve. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> we went trick-or-treating last night. Not you. Wow. But. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I stayed inside my apartment. So we are in a, uh, a fall eastern woods, maples, beaches around us. Mm -hmm. Very few leaves left on the trees except on the beaches. Oh, of course. Yep. This is a lot better. Okay. All right. So coprophagia, what I was saying before was I almost feel like we're doing it a disservice calling these records of humans doing it because it's not normal behavior. Mm -hmm. All right. But for this, the purposes of this episode, we're just going to lump them together. Sure. So it's also been observed in people with schizophrenia and then... Mm. This led me to uh, pica. Do you know about pica? Oh, I've heard of pica. Is this some, uh, tell me if I'm wrong. Is this something that you can get from, let's say when, when like rat feces or mouse feces dry out, no. it can get into the air and, okay. Pica. So that's why old old cabins are a little dangerous. I don't, I don't <laughs> You're remember. You're thinking of hantavirus. Yeah, oh, that's right. That's yeah. totally right. Okay. <laughs> so pica is when people eat non-edible things. Oh, right? got it. Yep. So this led me to the man, Michel Lotito. He mm -hmm. was a French entertainer in the 80s and 90s, popular for eating indigestible objects. Have you heard about this guy? No. I'd never heard about him. Um, he would break items into little tiny pieces, and he would eat bicycles, shopping carts, what? televisions, chandeliers. And over the course of two years, he ate a Cessna, an airplane. What? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> this is this horrible. Was, this was not a hoax. This was like the guy actually did it. He would drink mineral oil as he was eating this stuff to you know, lubricate things. And um, they studied him and found like the lining of his stomach was stronger than the average human and his stomach acid was stronger. So I don't want to dwell on this too much because this isn't really what we're talking about. But right. I do have to just point out there were a few. What I have here in my notes is random research highlights. There's a restaurant in Hong Kong called Pika Pika. Do they serve <laughs> non-food? <laughs> I, I think they just serve regular food, but that yeah. name caught my eyes like, huh. Um, and then are you a Harry Potter fan? Uh, I mean, I saw the movies. All I, right. I wasn't a book guy. So, there we just is... lost half our list. There. <laughs> <laughs> there is a medical term in a person's gastrointestinal tract. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a mass of indigestible matter gets trapped, and it's called a bazaar. Bazaar. So that's something in Harry Potter. They would use a bazaar to counteract poison. Okay. So when this came up in my research, I'm like, wait a minute. That leaped out at me because it was something from Harry Potter. Yeah. But it's a real thing. And historically, people would use a bazaar. It had folklore uses that it would treat almost anything. Hmm. So people would save these things when they came out of somebody. They would save them, dry them out, and use them to treat like almost any ailment. Weird. So, yeah. And then the last one, um, just when I was doing different searches in Google, and you know it pops up with what it thinks that you want. Yeah. One of the questions that came up that Google provided was, why does pooping make me cry? 
<laughs> so yeah. I'll let our listeners go down that internet rabbit hole on their own. Right. So, yeah. You know what? That, I, I was just thinking about it. The guy that ate an airplane, I feel like that could be considered coprophagia depending on the airline. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'll be here all week. <laughs> or next month, anyway. All right. So I was about to start talking about coprophagia in animals. We're mm-hmm. going to talk mostly about rabbits and rodents, but we'll talk about other ones. But I, I do want to say something that I forgot at the beginning. Okay. We want to thank Matt from Indefensive Plants for recommending this topic. <laughs> when do you think he recommended this? How many years ago now? <laughs> A long time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this behavior was first reported back in the scientific lit- literature all the way back in 1882. And the author stated that rabbits made two kinds of feces, <laughs> soft and hard. <laughs> the soft ones were mucus covered. Oh. And they came out during the night and the hard dry pellets came out in the daytime. And this is pretty much held up. He did go on to say that the soft feces were taken directly from the anus and swallowed like pills. Oh. <laughs> he did this. No, <laughs> no the rabbits. Um, by 1911, it was widely accepted that not just rabbits, but most Lagomorphs consumed their own species. Yeah, that's still rabbits in my opinion, right? Lagomorphs, aren't they like hares, rabbits? Well, that's what I was going to stop and say here. Yeah. Steve, most people, well, I shouldn't say most people, but a lot of people think rabbits are rodents. Oh, I didn't think about that. Well, it's because you know stuff. Sure, I guess, but I guess before I ever even thought about taxonomy, maybe rabbits were introduced to me as lagomorphs. Uh, Maybe that's why. All right. Well, I know growing up, I was very often told rabbits, rodents, they're just kind of grouped together. Sure. So just to give the listeners who maybe aren't aware, lagomorphs are members of a tag, the taxonomic order Lagomorpha. And there's two living families. The Leporidae, who has... Are those, is that hares? Rabbits and hares. Oh, rabbits and hares, okay. And then the other group is the pikas. Oh, pikas, those, those okay. Cute little guys in the mountains that dry out uh, the grasses and whatnot. Pika? <laughs> yeah, let's not get confused. <laughs> they eat airplanes as well. <laughs> the, the eating stuff you shouldn't eat, that's P-I-C-A. And these are P-I-K? Yes, A? you should have been able to tell from my pronunciation. All right. Now, do you know the difference between lagomorphs and rodents? Uh, I guess not technically or physiologically. I, I, okay. I don't know. So both of them, rodents and lagomorphs, they have ever-growing incisors. Okay. And there's a space separating those sharp front teeth from the back teeth. Okay. All right. But the major difference is that rodents, they have two upper incisors and two lower incisors. Okay. But lagomorphs, if you've ever seen a rabbit's skull, Mm -hmm. and this is how the the difference was shown to me when I learned the difference. Someone showed me a rabbit's skull. And if you look behind the two front incisors on top, there's actually two more behind there, two smaller ones. Oh, so they that's have interesting. Four upper incisors, and that's one of the big differences. Interesting. All right, so let's get back to coprophagia, though. Mm-hmm. This process in lagomorphs, in rodents, it serves the same purpose as rumination does, cud chewing mm-hmm. in deer, cattle, those ruminants. Right. You know, sheep. Now, do cows have four stomachs? I thought they did. They don't technically have four stomachs. They mm-hmm. have four compartments in their stomach. Okay. I always thought they did have four stomachs. Sure. So it serves the same purpose because each of those compartments does a job of breaking down 
this plant material that's heavy in cellulose. It has a lot of cellulose, so it's hard mm -hmm. to break down. So animals need some way to do that. That's the cud chewing animals. They'll bring it up and chew it more. That's part of the digestion process. Right. So other animals have just figured out, well, I don't have to bring it up, back up. <laughs> I can just poop it out and send it back down. Right. Recycle, <laughs> reuse. That's right. <laughs> reduce. <laughs> they don't want to reduce. So the key to the rabbit's success with coprophagy is the cecum. Have you heard about that? Uh, I don't think I know it. So it's an organ. It's a blind sac or a pouch mm -hmm. that comes off the junction where the small and large intestine meet. Hmm. Now we have a cecum. In us, it helps with salt absorption, um, lubricating solid waste. It does other stuff. Hmm. But in, anim in mammals that practice coprophagy, the cecum has other functions. Hmm. So let's imagine that a rabbit has just eaten a healthy meal of grasses. Got it. Right? The grasses, they go through the stomach, they go into the small intestine, and there's absor absorption of nutrients, digestion takes place. Right. Any undigested food in all the fiber then heads into the large intestine. Now, if you don't know your digestive tract, the large intestine, also called the colon, mm -hmm. that's the section that goes from the small intestine to the poop chute, to the anus, all right? <laughs> Got it. <laughs> We're using technical terms here. <laughs> it's at that point, going from the small intestine to the large, that the rabbit's digestive system sorts the material into two piles, or into two portions. Whoa, like a coin sorter, <laughs> yeah. but inside of a body. So one pile is stuff that can be broke, further broken down and used in that, that which cannot. Wow. So the stuff that can't be broken down any further, that's indigestible fiber, mm -hmm. includes that, passes directly into the large intestine, here, there's any water that can be reabsorbed is, and the material is passed. Now, that makes up those round, dry pellets that you would normally think of. I see. When you think of rabbit poop. Right. But the material- Oh, because the rabbit poop you see is the stuff they didn't eat again. Correct. <laughs> there we go. It's the, you know, the stuff that they, they have no more use for. Right. But the material that can be broken down further, and that's mostly soluble fiber mm -hmm. and then proteins, that takes a left turn into the cecum. And in there, there's large colonies of bacteria, microorganisms, and they ferment that material, oh. turning the fiber into digestible stuff, digestible mm -hmm. nutrients. Some of it's directly absorbed through the wall of the cecum, and the rest is excreted. And the cecum does a nice job of wrapping it up, putting a bow on it, packaging it into a small, moist pellet called a cecotrope. Mm. And that's consumed by the rabbit as it's being passed. So. As nice. it comes out, the rabbit just bends around and... Oh, so this type of poop doesn't even really hit the ground. You're not going to find it. So, no. Right, because I was imagining it hitting the ground and then them e immediately eating it. No. They just kind of go out and, you know, it just dispenses right it's into like their a, mouth like a little like tic-tac. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was going to say an M&M dispenser. Sure, right, right. <laughs> yeah. A Pez dispenser. <laughs> <laughs> the grossest Pez dispenser ever. <laughs> So that is going to go through the entire digestive system again, so the rabbit's going to get the additional nutrients. Yeah. So these soft feces... It's almost like there's not enough grass around for them just <laughs> to get nutrients straight up. Well, it's just so tough, you know? <laughs> I think I've said on a, uh, an episode before, I went to a conference a bunch of years ago on... Mm. It's called The World on Your Plate, and it's all about mm. like eating from an environmental perspective. Oh, interesting. And I went to this session on edible plants and I knew right away the person running it their expertise was a little questionable 
I really think they mostly hired this person because they had long hair and um, <laughs> had a very easygoing attitude. Right, right. Because at one point the person said, maple leaves. Maple leaves are all over. You can eat maple leaves. You can eat them. And I'm just sitting there thinking, well, yeah, you can, <laughs> but your body's not going to be able to do much with that. Right, Our bodies right. just aren't designed to eat maple leaves. Yeah, right? yeah. There's so, not much to it. No, yeah. we, don't, we don't have this process. <laughs> Thankfully, in my opinion. <laughs> so these soft feces, as compared to the hard ones, they contain three times the amount of nitrogen, four to six times the B-complex vitamins, 80% more protein, hmm. and then all the required riboflavin and pantothenic acid and 40% more vitamin B12. Nice. They're like little multivitamins. <laughs> <laughs> so it's wow. that time in the cecum and the, that bacterial synthesis that happens there that makes these nutrients available to the animal. Mm -hmm. Now there's actually a circadian rhythm attached to this. Okay. So if you remember the original scientific literature, the first mention of it said that these soft pellets come out at night, the dry pellets come out during the day. Right. That's the part that researchers who have figured out this is wrong. Mm -hmm. And I gotta say going through this, like the people that research this, they gotta be the most interesting people at parties. Like a person <laughs> that would devote their life to studying animal poop yeah. in this fashion i was gonna say you're laying the sarcasm on thick <laughs> i don't know i'm not really i mean you would be interested in it but that's true yeah <laughs> how many other people they, i think these people leave their work at work if i had to guess <laughs> you would hope so so there's a circadian rhythm rhythm to this at least in the lab rabbits seem to perform this function during the first seven to nine hours of daylight so the first section of the day, it's almost like, you know how my day's begun? Yeah. I'm eating poop out of my anus. Right, right. <laughs> That's how I know my day's begun. The rest of the time, the hard pellets come out about once every hour. So it's a morning thing. Mm -hmm. Now in the research, it did come up that the, some people that study this, mm -hmm. they say this behavior in rabbits shouldn't be called coprophagia. Because they say, since cecotropes aren't technically waste, some have said that this behavior should be called cecotrophy. So I hmm. think that's um, splitting poop. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, I think we can safely uh, lump it in. Wow. If it's coming out your poop chute, <laughs> right. it's poop, right? Yeah, right. All right. Now, even more interesting. By the way, I'm agreeing with you, but at the same time, I get it. You know what I mean? Oh, I, I think do. you get it. You get I it. Do. But, I do get it. But, uh, it's a lumper so and a weird. splitter. Right. And it's also like relative to what we're used to. Like we don't have food poop and waste poop. We don't have that, you know. Right. So. And I think also if you're someone who studies this constantly, this is like, right. hey, this is a big difference. Right? Yeah. And I will also say that I don't really think about rabbit buttholes very often. <laughs> but I just, I have a feeling just the way that the pellet is, I don't think rabbits ever have to wipe, unlike humans. You know what I mean? So I have a feeling that their anus might be a little bit cleaner than ours. <laughs> you know? I, I that's know. just my guess. Yeah. There's a lot yeah. of fur back there. Yeah. <laughs> I think it depends on what they're eating. Maybe. Right? Maybe. You're right. Anyone who has a dog can, or cat can back me up on this. <laughs> All right. So one of the most fascinating parts of this research, mm -hmm. and, and I'm not being sarcastic. Just, despite but, all of it. Yeah, yeah. Is the effect this has on the gut and the microflora in the gut hmm. and how important this is for wildlife. This process starts early in a lot of the animals that practice it, early in their life. Mm -hmm. For example, young jackrabbits, and I got to point out a jackrabbit is actually a hare, right? Yeah. <laughs> they start to ingest the feces of their mothers 
even before weaning. Oh. Right, so this is like the first thing. And by the time they're weaned, they habitually eat their own poop. Oh, that's gross. <laughs> so wait, so so obviously rabbits are mammals, so they're they're you know, is that what you call it? breastfeeding, I guess? So <laughs> so the so the baby rabbits are getting milk from mom and cookies. <laughs> nice gross (laughs) milk and cookies yes (laughs) but what they get for mom from the mom's feces that establishes the intestinal microflora oh that's not unseen with people Uh, there aren't there um not surgeries but there's like fecal transplants yes yeah were you gonna bring that up (laughs) i actually was because i do have to recommend stuff you should know did an episode on fecal transplants Hmm. fascinating stuff yeah like just where medicine is headed in terms of the gut and what we're finding out crazy all right so weird though it is yeah but again it's not uncommon right it's uncommon to people Mm -hmm. right but it's not uncommon among wildlife right so these behaviors it's perfect they've been noted not just among rabbits rodents but among the young of elephants giant pandas koalas hippos when these animals are born their intestines are basically sterile they don't contain this bacteria and without coprophagy, they would be unable to get sufficient nutrients from the plants they're eating, right? Wow. So by constantly re-inoculating these organisms into the gut, they just keep that bacterial spectrum alive. Wow. So if it stops, the bacterial flora changes. There was one study where a researcher fitted rats with tail cups that prevented them from eating their feces. Oh, okay, I see. <laughs> so they put, you know, a little cup on there. Yeah. And in these rats, the lactobacilli in their cecum decreased significantly. Hmm. So that's an important kind of, of bacteria. Yeah. Control rats without the tail cups had five times the lactobacilli hmm. than rats with tail cups. And then research shows that if you prevent coprophagy, it decreases weight gain. Hmm. So the young fail to thrive. Uh, prevention in one study depressed the growth rate in young rats by as much as 20%. Oh, wow. So, yeah, crazy. Right. This holds true for rabbits and some other mammals as well. So there's researchers out there preventing animals in the lab from eating the poop. They're just like, <laughs> <laughs> can you, I, I don't know if they're like sitting there waiting for the poop to come out because the animals are going to eat it as soon as it comes out. Right, right. They're like, nope, nope, <laughs> nope. <laughs> right. And these animals are probably like, what the? <laughs> so, again... Eating this, the feces, it provides nitrogen, protein, sulfur, numerous vitamins. One study that restricted the diets of rabbits found that's, so what they're doing in this study, they restricted the diet, so the food that was going in. Mm-hmm. These rabbits consumed up to 100% of the soft feces to make up for the lack of nutrients. Oh. So that does show, though, that sometimes they don't get all of the soft feces. Okay. Because right? you were mentioning before that we probably couldn't find them. It's probably mm-hmm. unlikely they eat a lot of them, but not all of them. Yeah. So now I'm going to get into some other animals. We've really focused on rabbits and rodents. Mm-hmm. Now and in, people. And people. That's <laughs> yeah. right. So in pigs, they can actually get an iron deficiency if this practice is prevented. Okay. Hmm. Because adult swine feces, and this is the young eating the feces of their parents, mm-hmm. because adult swine feces are rich in iron in piglets they ingest about 20 grams of their mother's poop a day. Wow. <laughs> Steve just has this constant gross face on. Yeah. <laughs> I did mention non-human primates. Mm-hmm. It's been observed in prosimians. Do you hmm. know what those are? 
prosimians. Yeah. Animals like lemurs. Okay. Okay. Certain groups of lemurs, rhesus monkeys, bush babies, and pados. So I'd never heard of a pado before, but it's just one of these, uh, you know, like rainforest forest animals, incredibly cute with the big eyes, the mm. long fingers. Mm -hmm. It also occurs in marmosets when the marmosets have a protein diet lower than 6%. Hmm. So if they're not getting a lot of protein, they're like, well, guess I'm eating poop. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually have a quick question about the pigs. Yes. So you were talking about if the young couldn't eat their mother's poop, they would have a iron, iron deficiency. deficiency. Yep. Did they test the male pigs, the, the adult male pigs poop to see if that has high iron amounts in it? Because I'm wondering if it's something that for some reason the mother produces for the babies, yeah. or is it something, oh, I called them babies. There, there are technical terms, right? Piglets. So piglet, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I do wonder if there's a difference between the mother and the father. And the father. Yeah. I, did see some mentions in rats mm -hmm. that the young rats eat from both the parents. Okay. All right. Okay. But in that particular study, it just said adult swine feces. It hmm. didn't differentiate I between see. the two. So that's some further research for you, Steve. I, I have a feeling <laughs> that that means both the mother and the father, but yeah. but I guess we can't say for sure. Now, I was just talking about uh, non-human primates. Mm -hmm. I do have to say that in that group, it doesn't serve as a major source of nutrients hmm. like it does in rats, rabbits, and hmm. other groups. So depending on which animal you're talking about, coprophagy is more important, might be less important depending on the animal. I see. All right? So earlier in the episode, we, we came across some dogs and we mentioned that, that dogs do like to eat poop. Right. So I, I did want to look into that. So just a small sidebar here. Uh, the American Kennel Club, they actually had a, a, a interesting article called Why Does My Dog Eat Poop and How to Stop It? <laughs> so mm -hmm. they did say that a lot of dogs, if they're just eating processed dog foods, mm -hmm. they can lack critical digestive enzymes. Hmm. They're missing stuff. So they might try to gain those things from consuming fecal matter. Interesting. Right? And they did say this is an evolutionary behavior that dogs probably used a lot more in their evolutionary history staving off starvation you're going to eat what's available um, sure. especially if you're hungry the danger of eating poop might be outweighed by the danger of starvation sure but they went on to say most dogs will only consume fecal matter that is less than two days old hmm. and then it's most common in multi-dog households is it auto coprophagy or allo coprophagy it's both it's both okay. yeah because typically dogs will not eat their own poop Mm -hmm. They might eat the poop of other dogs and other animals. Like our dog, we have to keep the litter boxes away because <laughs> the dog will go in and have some litter box treats. Right. <laughs> so gross. Yeah, that's pretty right? gross. So not just other dogs, other animals in right. general. So poop eaters, poop eating dogs, they're not harder to house train than any other dog. Mm -hmm. Female dogs are more likely to eat poop. Hmm. And intact males were the least likely. When you say intact, you mean... Not fixed. Okay. Yeah. yeah, which is interesting. They didn't explain, hmm. like this, they basically looked at the research and then put what they found, but they didn't explain like any right. theories about why this is. I mean, you could imagine that there's some hormonal differences between a fixed sure. and a non-fixed uh, male. Definitely, there definitely female are. female as well, <laughs> yeah. 90% yeah. so. of poop eaters want the fresh stuff, only one right. or two days old. I mean, but that kind of tracks with what we've seen with more serious yes. uh, coprophagy, yep. where they want the fresh stuff, not the dry stuff. So. And if you're a greedy dog, if like dogs that steal food off tables, uh -huh. um, you tend to be a poop eater. Oh, <laughs> yeah. interesting. Yeah. And then... So they're just hungry, let's face it. <laughs> <laughs> they're just really hungry. <laughs> mm -hmm. So 
The one thing that um, I'll wrap up with in mammals, or actually two things. So cattle, did you know that cattle in the U.S., they're often fed chicken litter? And chicken litter is basically what's scooped up from the bottom of the chicken house. So it's chicken poop, feathers, all this stuff. I mean, it makes some sense, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so, but that is one thing that has people worried about passing on mad cow disease mm -hmm. uh, because apparently somewhere along the way like cow parts get in there so hmm. i started to look into it and it just seemed like oh my gosh this could almost be an episode unto itself okay but cattle are fed chicken poop essentially within their feed within their larger feed yeah that's weird and then on rare occasions gorillas mm -hmm. have been observed consuming feces but <laughs> the, the research said it's probably out of boredom <laughs> or a desire for warm food. <laughs> Man, primates are awful. <laughs> but that one, like a desire for warm food, I'm like, how would you make that connection? Like, well, for, Okay, I, I would say, I mean, how much food in the natural world is very warm? Right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe it was captive gorillas that had been fed warm food. I don't know. I don't but know. I read that. I'm like, wait a minute. What does a gorilla know from warm food? <laughs> yeah. They're like, eating although some... poop, is it warmer? It can't be warmer than your body temperature, can it be? Well, I mean, oh, unless, because there when is it comes like. comes out, right? It would be. It's going to be pretty close. It would be really, really close to your yeah. body temperature. But um, I know with like manure piles and stuff, there's a lot of heat oh, generated yeah. in those from um, fermentation, right? right? So I want. Uh, is poop all that warm? I mean, yeah, so these gorillas were eating steaks, right? And then they couldn't get them, so they started eating shit. So, steaming piles of shit. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Makes if someone's sense. walking by and listening to us. <laughs> they're like, I am not listening to that podcast, yeah. I'm guessing, that they're recording. Normally, uh, when I'm doing research, yeah. I'll share, you know, interesting tidbits I found around the dinner right. table. Not over the past <laughs> Not, Not this one. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, I just have a little bit more, and then, then Steve's going to jump in sure. here. Sure. So, if we're gonna talk about coprophagia, eating poop, you gotta talk about insects. Okay. There are literally thousands of species of insects that eat poop, especially among the flies and the beetles, right? Okay. Diptera and coleoptera. Oh, they land on poop a lot. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, they're consuming it and they're redigesting the poop of large animals, right? Mm-hmm. Because that poop often contains substantial amounts of undigested food. Right. So it's just an obvious food source. So we all know about dung flies, okay. I mean, commonly found around cattle droppings, but anytime you're taking a hike through the woods and you see a pile of scat, very often there are flies going around it and other insects. Right. Among beetles, think of dung beetles, right? Mm-hmm. They, uh, they're, they're rolling pieces of poop uh, into, they roll them into a hole in the ground or something, or what do they do with them? We'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> so there are 7,000 species of coprophagous dung beetles. Mm. Now keep it 7,000? 7,000. Wow. Well, there's, beetles are like the biggest group of, of yeah. invertebrates, right? At the there's very only 6,500 species of mammals. Yeah, that's so amazing. So there's more beetles out there eating poop <laughs> than there are species of mammals. Just in this one group. Yeah. Just in the dung beetle group. Just in yeah. the dung beetle group. All right. It's amazing. So they lay their eggs in balls composed mainly of poop. Yeah. Now, I do got to say, though, that they said there were 7,000 species of coprophagous dung beetles. Uh-huh. Which begs the question, well, are there non-coprophagous dung beetles? I was going to say, is that redundant or is that very much on purpose? Right. Yeah. And you know what? With my experience with a lot of other topics, I have a feeling there might be some dung beetles that aren't, that if I had to guess. That don't mess with dung. Yeah. They're the non-dung <laughs> dung beetles. Yeah. <laughs> so termites, 
They also eat one another's feces. Okay. Which is... Gross. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I have to look. So what is that? Of other individuals of the same Hetero species? No. Allocoprophagy. Of the same species. Allo. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. if you're eating other individuals of your species, right, that's right. allocoprophagy. Mm-hmm. Now, the cool part is, <laughs> it sounds weird to say that, <laughs> they eat one another's feces to obtain hindgut protists. Oh, So there's weird. a symbiotic relationship there. Okay. The protists, they allow the termites to digest the cellulose in their diet. So the protists are uh, like a mutualist. Yes. Or, yeah, there's like a mutualism going on between... The protists get the cellulose, mm-hmm. and the termites, they get I see. the nutrients from the cellulose they digest. Right. Because a protist, uh, that can be like a parasite sometimes. Oh, it sure. Can be, yeah. yeah. Now, what about birds? Birds? Are birds coprophagic, you think? I see. I don't. I don't know. Because uh, when I think of birds, like like young birds, sometimes they'll even so some birds full on just poop all in their nest, and their nest is really disgusting. <laughs> Other birds put their rear end out the side of the nest so the poop doesn't like fill up the nest. Right. So there's a bit of a variation there. I think with any animal group, yeah, like the answer is usually some of them do. <laughs> some. I bet some yeah. of them eat shit. Some of them. <laughs> yeah. What I'm going to talk about is the fecal sac. There are different hmm. groups of birds that mm-hmm. will eat the poop okay. of other birds or their own poop. Hmm. But we're gonna focus on passerines, okay. um, these perching birds and the fecal sac. Because as you said, a lot of times what young birds will do is they'll stick their rear end over the edge of the nest and poop out. But a right. lot of them, when they poop, it comes out in a sac that's covered in mucus. Really? Yeah, a mucus covered sac. Man, I, I'm just picturing the like kind of white and black stuff that gets kind of squirted out of the birds. Right. Yeah. But the fecal sac, it's like a little pouch. Okay. And you said this is most birds? A, a lot of passerines will do this. I don't, pa- don't want to say most. So you said you said perching birds, also known as like songbirds, I right. guess. So these are the small little birds that, you know, like warblers and yeah, sparrows. Yeah, but also robins, blue, robins, blue jays, yeah. bluebirds. Oh yeah, so little is, is relative. Right, yeah. yeah, relative. So some birds will actually eat the fecal sac. When it comes out of the young, the parent will eat it. Okay. Why do they do this with well, the best? Because they owe them. <laughs> no. <laughs> I brought you into this world. I'm going to eat your fecal sac. Well, okay, maybe. <laughs> because the best guess, the one with the most research. The is recouping a, nutrients. Yes. There we go. It's a little shot of nutrition. <laughs> right. Parents are going to do that because the nestlings can't completely digest uh, all the food they eat. It would just go to waste anyway. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so there's still energy and nutrients in there. Right? Interesting. Now, some parents, they're gonna eat the fecal sacs throughout the whole nesting period, mm. but some only do it at the beginning. Right, it's like charging rent. But no. <laughs> <laughs> some researchers say this is probably because as the young get older, they mm. get better at digesting their food. Mm. So maybe it's not worth the risk of digesting that. Okay? okay, I see. So not all birds that produce fecal sacs, the parents, not all of them eat it. Some, mm. they just transport it somewhere else. Oh, so oh, so if they don't eat it, it's just not. I see. So it's not just that they're eating it instead of the young. Sometimes they're just removing it from the young, so the young can't eat it. No, not so the young can't eat it. We're not sure. There's no evidence that the young are going to eat it. Sure. They may be removing it, one to keep the nest clean to prevent right. bacteria, parasites. Mm-hmm. Also to prevent odor to attract predators. That's a good point. So there's lots of ideas about why certain birds might be removing it. Right, right, okay? right, right. So it seems like some passerines remove it, some eat it. I see. Some eat it just at the beginning of nesting, some eat it all the way through nesting. Right, so as long as it's not in the nest, th- so there's a lot of reasons. So so the young won't eat it, 
so it won't just sit there and decay and rot and attract other things. Yeah. So, you know, and obviously that's messy stuff. So, right. yeah. So you just don't want that sitting around. And there's a lot of great videos out there around fecal sacs. We'll post one in the episode notes. I'm actually looking forward to seeing one of these videos. Yeah, um, it's set to some beautiful music. And, sure. Yeah, <laughs> nice. All right. So that is what I had besides coprophagia in plants. Yeah. But apparently that is what Steve did some research on. So that being said, I think this is a good place to stop because off mic, Steve and I were talking that we both did probably more research than we had, we had initially planned. Yeah. And we feel this this is really enough for a two-part episode. Yeah. So even though we just did a two-part episode, <laughs> but we didn't release last month, so. Although last, last month we didn't have to do that much work for it, where yeah. this month I imagine we did a little bit more, so. It was a lot of work. I will say <laughs> you did a lot of work. I did absolutely no work whatsoever, so. All right, there yeah. you go. So this is gonna be a two-parter, folks. So we actually are gonna do a wrap-up here. Mm -hmm. And before we wrap up, though, we wanna give a shout-out to the episode sponsor, Gumleaf USA. If you're out on the trail like Bill and I are right now, Definitely wearing a pair of tall rubber boots is a really good idea. I just assumed because of where we are right now at Hunter's Creek that I wouldn't need tall rubber boots. And <laughs> and to get to where we had to get to in order to not be in the rain and the wind, we, we had to cross it. a little creek. <laughs> and I'm wearing my gum leaf boots. <laughs> so Bill just stomped through like it was nothing. And I tried to go from rock to rock. And I don't know if you heard me behind you, but my foot slipped off in the I water. did. <laughs> so yeah, I'm regretting not wearing mine. Mine are even in my trunk too. So yeah. <laughs> So I'm wearing the Royal Zip, mm -hmm. and folks, they are hands down my favorite pair of rubber boots. When I first got them, I was worried they wouldn't be great in the wintertime, but I even wear them in the wintertime. So they do have mm -hmm. a, a thin lining, but that's usually enough to keep my feet warm un unless it's a super, super cold day. But the folks at Gumleaf, they've been kind enough to provide us with an offer code to provide patrons of the podcast with free shipping. So. If you're a patron, you can check that out on our Patreon website, right? Yeah, so what I'll do is I'll post that coupon code on our Patreon, but I'll just make it so it's for patrons only. Right. Yep, so that's how you'll get a hold of that code. But whether you're a patron or not, please check out gumleafusa.com. Yep. And folks, stick around because number two, <laughs> oh, no. the second part of this episode on eating poop <laughs> is coming right up. All right.